You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. So initially, we had no drive for this protocol in general. So we really were looking more at just smart cameras from a higher level. And we kind of stumbled upon this doing just some independent research. That's Jake Valletta. He's Director of Professional Services at Mandiant. The research we're discussing today is titled, Mandiant Discloses Critical Vulnerability Affecting Millions of IoT Devices. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. the individuals who was part of the research team was fairly new to the company and expressed an interest in getting into embedded security. So we thought, hey, let's go out, let's get some cameras as a as a way to do an educational exercise and let's see what we can find. So we started actually looking at some of the security of the cameras that we were looking at themselves. And we encountered this protocol and this network while doing that research. So it kind of caught our eye um, once we started digging in a technical level and, and saw this traffic that looked pretty unique and it was exciting for us because it, you know, doing some quick searches online, it wasn't really turning up any results or any immediate, you know, parsers or things to, to understand the protocol. So that got us excited to actually look into the protocol. And then from there, it ended up just being, you know, some research on our side over the course of several months to learn more about the protocol 
Um, and then ultimately led to, you know, the disclosure that we published earlier this month or, or last month, rather. Now, the protocol we're talking about here is from an organization called ThruTech, and uh, it's their Calais network. Can you give us an overview of exactly what's going on with this protocol? Yeah, sure. So the, the protocol is designed to be very easy to use for uh, companies that want to develop and sell IoT products. So, you know, one of the examples that we've seen is smart cameras, right? So let's say you're a company who's building a smart camera and, you know, you have a lot of things that you want to focus on. You want the branding, the aesthetic of the device, maybe the functionality and the, the camera on the unit. But one thing that's really important is being able to connect the cameras to, you know, a smartphone or maybe a desktop application. And that can be a, a challenging engineering problem for someone to to reinvent. So what the Cali protocol allows is for you to basically use the network that the ThruTech has built to take that out of the equation for your development purposes. You essentially would use their protocols and use their network, and you don't have to think about the implementation. It just kind of works, right? So it's very attractive mm. to uh, you know, these companies who want to build cameras because it's some, one less thing that they have to worry about. And in our experience, it does work very well from a, from a user standpoint. It's fast, it's snappy, the camera feed looks good. Um, so it's one less thing that these developers have to worry about. So they uh, provide the developers w- with an SDK that, that they build in, and I suppose that uh, the folks who are building this hardware would tend to think that uh, this would be secure being on as many devices as it is, but you and your colleagues uh, discovered some issues here. Yep, that's correct. And there are, you know, there's a lot of different versions out there in the wild. And I think, you know, there's some older devices with Ferran more earlier iterations of the of the platform. I think over time, uh, ThruTech has added features and security controls onto the platform to just make it more robust. But at the end of the day, it really does depend on the you know the OEMs and the people building these these devices to you know stay current and build in the latest version of the SDK uh, as new versions come out. Well, walk us through the vulnerability that you discovered here. What what exactly is going on? Sure. So the vulnerability that we disclosed is essentially device impersonation. So through our research, we discovered that uh, basically when these devices need to access the network, right, if you have a camera sitting in a house somewhere or some smart device somewhere, it needs to register itself onto the network so that when I open my phone, I can very easily find that device and then establish the, the connection, thus using the protocol. And what we found is that the way that the registration works is it's really only requiring a single piece of information to actually register and join the network. And that piece of information, as we highlighted in our, in our blog, is what's called the UID. It's essentially a, you know, a randomly generated string that's assigned to a specific device, right? So if you have 10,000 or 100,000 devices in your fleet, each one of them is going to have a unique UID. And that's the piece of information that gets you on the network. So with that ID... Uh, your device will register on the network. And then whenever somebody wants to connect to you, they would find you using that ID. And that's how the protocol is able to work um, so effectively and so quickly is it's it's just looking up on their side where that ID lives and making the connection and facilitating the conversation if needed. And what we found is that, you know, because that's the only piece of information, that that makes it dangerous and risky for an attacker to be able to, you know, one, obtain UIDs, and to, you know, then use those IDs to 
stage a more serious attack, right? So what we found, and the issue again is device impersonation, is that we can masquerade as a device. So if we have an ID for you know, a victim or just anyone, any camera we want to masquerade as, we can register on the network and maybe it's just a Python script, but the end result is whenever someone attempts to connect to that ID, instead of connecting to the real device, they're actually going to connect to us. And the hmm. impact here is when they connect to us, by they, I mean the mobile application, will then t- attempt to authenticate to us because we are essentially the device. So they will send a username and password for the, the I mean, a camera or whatever, and then we can capture those as an attacker. Once we have those creds, we now have all three of the pieces of information, the UID, the username, and the password, to be able to then connect to the real device uh, using the Kali protocol, right? So we can then connect to the actual camera and then initiate a a connection to say, view the video or listen to audio or or access some of the functionalities that are available past authentication. So that's really at the heart of it what the issue is here, is being able to impersonate devices and obtain materials that can be used to access sensitive data. And how do you insert your your spoofing device onto uh, the network in such a way that you supersede the actual device? Basically, the way the protocol is designed is it's at the core, it's it's essentially a peer-to-peer network. So it's meant to allow various nodes to connect uh, most of the time directly to each other, right? So Let's say I'm at a I'm in a coffee shop and a a camera is sitting at a house. When I'd like to connect to that camera, I will reach out to the the Cali network and say, "I'm looking to connect to this UID. Can you help me?" And the Cali network will make a determination based on the the various network topologies that we're both sitting in and say, "Okay, you two can both communicate directly. Here's the ports and IPs you need to use if you'd like to communicate directly." So it'll essentially hmm. broker that peer-to-peer connection for the parties. Or if the network topology doesn't allow that for some versions of NAT or something, it will actually act as a relay server to, to get the data to and from the two parties. So what this means is if I'm masquerading a device, right? I'm registering a particular device on the network, the servers only remember or know of one device. So let's say there's a device plugged in and it is beaking it out. Uh, you know, maybe every minute or so saying, hey, I'm here, log me in, register me. If I'm an attacker and I come along and I start registering over that device, well, the, the servers get confused and then they think that I'm the actual device. So that when a user attempts to find the real device, because of that peer-to-peer nature, it's going to then provide the details to the both parties, which is me and not the actual device uh, sitting in the home. So it's unfortunately... the the servers maintaining uh, you know, essentially only one device in their memory instead of realizing that there's a new device interjecting itself is what, what's causing the problem here. Hmm. So, I, I, I mean, help make sure I understand correctly. I mean, the fundamental issue here is that that UID is, is really the only thing that tells the network that that device is what it claims to be. There's no secondary uh, method of uh, verification. Yep, that's correct. And in some of the mitigations on the platform, um, and if you read through the you know the blog and the disclosure that we put out, you know the recommendations here are essentially to upgrade to the latest version of the the Cali protocol. And and what that provides is there's a specific feature that ThruTech developed, and it's called Auth Key. 
An off-key actually provides an additional layer of security when attempting to connect to a device, which validates that the connecting party is who it claims to be. So it doesn't actually ad address the fact that you can spoof, but it does mitigate the risk on the other end of it when an attacker attempts to use it. They will need a secondary piece of information to to you know weaponize the vulnerability, and that's why we've encouraged everyone to upgrade and use this feature because it's it's really the the easiest win here to to fix this. And will that work with older devices? I mean, is it, is this a matter of the more the protocol within the Kali network itself, and and not the? I'm thinking if I have a, an old camera that's been sitting you know minding its own business on a shelf somewhere for five or more years. Is it going to have to be updated or replaced, or will the will the mitigations you describe work even with an older device? So that's going to depend on the the company that's you know developing and selling the product, right? They're going mm. to have to produce a new firmware image, which a lot of these cameras in our experience have you know an over the air or a remote firmware update capability. There's nothing uh, you know hardware specific that would mit that would make it so you couldn't do this, right, in our, in our research. Um, but they would need to, you know, build a new firmware image with this, you know, updated version of the software, as well as using the off-key. So there would be some changes that would need to take place for manufacturers of these devices to be able to actually secure themselves with off-key. Well, you mentioned uh, some of the remediations. Can we go through that specifically? What, what are you and the team recommending here for folks to take care of this vulnerability? Yeah, we have a, a whole series of recommendations to, to try to kind of address the issue at, at various stages of the attack, right? So um, first and foremost, you know, we're really recommending that people will, and by people in this case, I actually mean the, the manufacturers of these devices, that they upgrade to the version of the Kali protocol, which uh, provides the off-key feature. Um, so that's probably first and foremost, make sure the platform is using the security features that are available to them to reduce the risk of this particular vulnerability. Now, the second thing that we want, um, and this is maybe more or less for the manufacturers of the devices, but more for the companies that sell them, is you know a lot of the, the way that this system's architected is you know your mobile device needs to obtain that UID somehow. You know, I'm Jake Valletta and I have a smart camera, and I'd like to talk to my camera remotely. Well, my mobile app needs to get that UID so that I can then connect to that camera using the Kali network. So it's going to obtain that UID somehow, usually using a web API. Um, what we found is, you know, it's there's oftentimes an API on, you know, companywebsite.com forward slash get UID or something. And that's fine, but you need to make sure that that API is developed with, you know, the best security you can. There can't be enumeration. There can't be brute forcing abilities there. Um, you, you really need to make sure that that API is secured adequately. Because you can you think of a doomsday scenario, which we kind of played through in our heads is, you know, what if you had a, a company that manufactures a particular model of device, and let's say they have hundreds of thousands of devices in the, in the, you know, out there in deployment. What happens if they have a weakness in their API, which leaks UIDs, and I can somehow obtain all the UIDs for a given model? Well, then due to the nature of this vulnerability, I can potentially intercept any one of those connections by just launching the attack with a given UID. I don't know who they are, maybe, but once mm -hmm. I have all of them, you can potentially exploit this in mass to you know, do a lot of bad things there. So that's something that we really recommend, too, and we put that in the blog, that making sure that that 
API securities is really crucial to this. And then the last thing is really more of a hardening practice. So, you know, one thing we notice is it's not just the network here, right? These are cameras that uh, are IoT devices, and they have the you know level of IoT security that we've seen consistent with other devices in the world, right? So, a lot of these devices are running as you know a privileged user for all processes are running privileged. They're not using the latest kernels for Linux. They lack hardening features, you know, specific bits and platform independent execution. So, all these security hardening things, which you'll see in you know, let's say a modern Linux operating system, not all of these are being used in these smart devices. So, you know, thinking thinking back to the attack, right? If someone's able to uh, perform this attack, it allows them to connect to your, your camera. Okay, that's bad. But as I mentioned, it's written in the blog, there's a lot of functionality that you can access after you've logged in, right? So things like, um, you know, rebooting the device or, obtaining metadata from the device is all accessible over the Kali network. And sometimes even remote firmware updates are available once you've authenticated. Um, so all hmm. these hardening features that we recommend on the device are really important for further attacks, right? So if I'm able to uh, you know, establish a connection to a camera out there, you want it to end at being able to view audio and video. Of course, you don't want that. But me, me being able to do like a, you know, something trivial, like a buffer overflow, and cause a, you know, a remote code execution as the root user. Well, now I have a shell in your house using this protocol, and now the attack is much bigger, right? So there's right. there's some other things that can be done on the camera side and the, on like the hardware itself, and making sure that the, you know, the the software that's in, installed on there is as modern as possible. So those three things together are, are what we're recommending that, you know, the the manufacturers and the developers of these uh, devices will use and, and do uh, to, to mitigate this. Now, the UIDs themselves, are are they complex enough that they're really resistant to brute forcing? So they're, they're fairly long. Um, they're actually 20 characters long. And in our experience, um, and, and this isn't, you know, the full analysis of it, but we did not see an easy avenue for, for brute forcing. It's a fairly large key space. And they do appear mm. to be random. Uh, it wasn't very obvious to us that you know the first four bytes are the manufacturer, the second three are the the year. They do appear to be random, and it's you know the full A through Z and numbers. So it's a it's a fairly large key space. Um, and we did some preliminary analysis and determined it'd be it'd be infeasible to um, collide very reliably. So that was not something we fully explored, but we did notice based on the key space it would be it'd be a challenge uh, for, for someone to carry out. You know, I'm curious, Jake, you mentioned at the outset that you, you sort of took this on uh, partially as, a, you know, kind of a, an educational sort of thing, a what if. For you and your team, I mean, how often do you head down this path? And I, I guess when you, when you head down a path like this, are you expecting to find vulnerabilities? Or is, is that more likely than not what you're going to, to find when you start down a, a, a journey like this? Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for us and my team, you know, we are professional penetration testers. So this is, you know, sort of a, an augment to our role, right? We do this professionally for, for clients day in and day out. And we more often than not do find vulnerabilities in the work that we do. And I would say on these side projects, they oftentimes do yield pretty exciting results. This one, I think, more exciting than some of the other recent ones. Sometimes you 
you know, sometimes you maybe you don't find anything that's uh, as exciting as this, but you know, it is the goal in our mind is to is to see what's there and what we can find, whether it's vulnerabilities in, you know, the UDP protocol that it's using to talk to on the network or device or vulnerabilities in the software. You know, there it is the goal, and and I'd say the team is quite successful, and it's there's a lot of passion for for us to to be successful, and it's it's a good energy, I think. Our thanks to Jake Valletta for joining us. The research is titled Mandiant Discloses Critical Vulnerability Affecting Millions of IoT Devices. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>